Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Father God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercies. Father, we thank you for your presence here and now. And Father, as we discuss your kingdom, purpose, plan, and position, Father, find us faithful in all that we say and all that we do. Father, will you give us the courage of heart to take the truths that are revealed through your word today, and may we apply it to our daily walk, so that we, as your ambassadors, that we can fairly represent your kingdom here and now. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 32, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to jump down to verses 15 and read through 18, and then we're going to jump over to Luke's gospel in chapter 6. Isaiah 32, this is in the New Living Translation. Look. A righteous king is coming, and honest princes will lead under his rule. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a parched land. And then everyone who has eyes will be able to see the truth. And everyone who has ears will be able to hear it. And even the hotheads will be full of a sense of understanding. And those who stammer will speak out plainly. And that day, ungodly fools will not be heroes. Scoundrels will not be respected. For fools speak foolishness and make evil plans They practice ungodliness and spread false teachings about the Lord. They deprive the hungry of food and give no water to the thirsty. The smooth tricks of the scoundrels, they are evil. They plot crooked schemes. They lie to convict the poor even when the cause of the poor is just. But generous people... Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity, picking up in verse 15, until at last the Spirit is poured out on us from heaven. Then the wilderness will become a fertile field, and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. Justice will rule in the wilderness and righteousness in the fertile field. And this righteousness will bring about peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in safety quietly at home. They will be at rest. Now all God's people say, amen. We want that. We desire that. Yet if we were honest, we have become weary. We've given up on it, that it's possible, that it's obtainable, that it can be here and now. But if we are to take it serious, what is our responsibility in it? What does that look like? 
How do we contribute to that? Luke chapter 6, verse 27, reading through verse 38. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you only do good to those who are good to you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners, evil people will lend to other sinners a full return. And I say to you, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and who are wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The account you give will determine the amount you get back. Luke says in chapter four, these are the words of Jesus, verse 43, I must go and I must preach the good news for this was the purpose I was sent. What is the purpose to spread the good news of the kingdom. What is the good news of the kingdom? That it has come, that it is available, that is right beside your head, right here, right now. Oh, it may not be visible to the physical eyes, but make no mistake about it. It is here, it has come. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is simply wherever God's purpose and will is done. Any place where God wants what he wants is done. That is the kingdom of God. So Jesus came spreading the good news that the kingdom of God, it is here, it is now, that it is available. But how do we know what the kingdom of God looks like? How do we know how an ambassador from the kingdom actually acts and behaves and speaks and what they do in a broken, fallen world? Well, someone from that kingdom would actually have to come and live among us, dwell among us, incarnate spirit and flesh living among us. 
So Jesus came to say, this is how you and I are to act, how we are to bring the kingdom of God. You see, the challenge for you and the challenge for me this morning, it is simply to be a Christian, to live in the kingdom of God here and now. Dallas Willard says it this way, the goal of the Christian life is not to get to heaven after we die, but to get there instead before we die. By becoming the kind of person in this world that is common and ordinary in that world, John Calvin said it this way, it is the purpose and the task and the honor of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. So how do we do this? Last week, we looked at 12 entrance sayings of Jesus. If we are to enter the kingdom of God, over 80 references of the kingdom of God exist in the New Testament, but only 12 say something different. So we unpacked those 12 verses. This is what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. And we board those 12 entrance sayings down to two realities. The first one is that we have to be born into the kingdom. We can't simply inherit it or walk into it. Just like Mary and the virgin birth, the kingdom has to be birthed inside us. It has to come through the power of God working in us and through us. It is a gift that is given, bestowed upon each and every believer that confesses Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And this is important because we cannot bring the kingdom of God if the kingdom of God does not first dwell in us, exist in us. So you have to be born there. The second thing that we have to do is we have to bear fruit, fruit of the kingdom. If we live in the kingdom, our behaviors, our attitudes, our wants, they have to be changed, transformed into the same desires, into the same attributes, to the same character of Christ Jesus himself. In other words, we have to ruthlessly eliminate anything that contradicts the kingdom of God in our lives. Anything that competes with the kingdom of God, we have to ruthlessly eliminate that from our lives. Which brings us to this morning. So these people that have entered into the kingdom of God, how do they act? What laws and rules and expectations steer and drive their lives? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? What does it involve? And what we know to be a citizen of a nation or a kingdom, an oath, a pledge always precedes that. In other words, to become an American citizen, you have to hold your right hand up and you have to pledge an allegiance or an oath to protect the Constitution, to protect against enemies foreign and domestic. You pledge allegiance to a nation. But if you were to enter into the kingdom of the United Kingdom, to become a citizen of the United Kingdom, you don't make an oath or pledge an allegiance to a nation 
You pledge an allegiance to a sovereignty, to a person. So you make an allegiance, you pledge an oath to her majesty to protect and to guard and to honor her. But if you took an allegiance or became a citizen of the Philippines, you would have to renounce all previous allegiance, all previous oaths that you have made. And then you would have to declare this one oath, this one pledge. So what does it mean to make an oath or to pledge an allegiance to the kingdom of God? What is the value? What does it look like? How is it different and how is it not common in what is observed and accepted today? What rules God, societal behavior in the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus says there's but one rule. There's but one law. There's only one allegiance to the kingdom of God that you love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you, we should love one another. John chapter 13, verse 34. So now I am giving you a new law, a new commandment, a new way to live and to think and to behave Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. John chapter 15, verses nine through 10. I have looked and I have loved you as even the Father has loved me. Therefore, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, my laws, my expectations, my rule, when you make an oath to love, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love, John chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to this world that you are my disciples. Translation, your love for one another will put in full display to this world the values of that world of this kingdom, of that kingdom. And now we come to a fork in the proverbial road. And the first path we take, it will separate us from all other religions known to man. And then the second path that we are going to walk down this morning, it will separate you from most Christians, many Christians in this world. Padre, the soldier asks the chaplain, Thomas Thurin, is Jesus really like God? And the philosopher, the theologian, look at the soldier whose life was quickly evaporating from this world. And he assured him that there is no God that we have to deal with that stands behind Jesus in other words. When we look into the eyes of Jesus, we are looking into the eyes of God. Oftentimes, we have no problem thinking about Jesus loving us. We sing songs about it from the time that we are children. 
But when we think about God, we oftentimes think about attributes such as righteousness and justice, but not always the character of God. But we're flawed when we do this because, you see, God's righteousness and his justice, it is an attribute that is stemmed from his core being, which is love. Meaning that God doesn't have to work at being loving. God doesn't have to think what is the loving thing to do. God doesn't ponder what does it mean to love in this situation. God didn't have to grow in his capacity or his ability to love. God doesn't feel love. God doesn't act loving. God doesn't do love. God is love, meaning that everything that God does is love. Every decision that has ever been made, every act that has ever been committed, every correction that has ever been rendered has been from the foundational core of who God is, love. Meaning that we cannot have God's righteousness apart from God's love. Or we cannot have God's justice apart from God's love. God is love, but we have a tendency, especially when dealing with the realities and the brokenness of this world to separate truth and justice from God's very core, from his nature, from who God is, and that is love. We pursue attributes of God as a means to an end in the pursuit of justice, in the pursuit of righteousness. But we have become oftentimes a religion devoid of the very nature and being of God when we act in any way apart from his love. You cannot bring the kingdom of God in a way that is absent of God, in a way that he wouldn't bring it. And God is love. Therefore, we cannot, in an effort to be righteous, Pursue it apart from love or we will become self-righteous. We cannot pursue truth apart from love or we will become prideful and we will become ignorant and we will become bigots and we will become the foolish that Scripture refers to. You see, at the very nature of God, grounded in God is love. You see, the love we have for one another is often founded in a pursuit of an attribute that we find admirable about and from God. But what we have to understand is that attribute that we pursue, that we are attracted to in that individual, no matter if it's charming or humorous, smart, intellectual, or witty, 
that has been placed there out of love by a loving father. You see, we love because God first loved us. And the second fork that we come to, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, reading through verse 34. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and all of the sacrifices, all of the pomp and circumstance. So when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask a question. What Jesus does in this moment is beautiful and it is redeeming. He marries together two commandments to exist and to be one that rules over all that we do, all that we say, and all that we pursue. And those two things is you love God and you love others. In other words, you are not loving God if you are not loving others. And you are not loving others well and true and right apart from loving God first and most. Oftentimes in the church and in my life, love is not the genesis or the foundation to how I perceive, how I see, and how I treat people. Certainly not in my thought life. And Jesus says, love flows out of every believer. It is the way of the kingdom. Christianity often attempts to separate love of God from love of others, but they cannot be. It is not possible. Luke chapter nine, verse 51 as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus rebuked them. 
It is important to note that we have all prayed this prayer or had this thought, haven't we? In attempt to pursue truth, our righteousness, our justice, haven't we all at one time or another prayed, God, would you have us send down fire from heaven to eliminate this person or this people group or this movement or this way of thinking or behaving or acting? Because God, I cannot see how it aligns with kingdom purposes or values. So the best thing that we can do is come together and decide that the wisest, best, and most God-honoring thing to do is to eliminate them all. When you think about the Muslim extremist or the white supremacist, the abuser or the accuser, when you think about the dope dealer or the sex trafficker, Haven't we all at one time or another thought or had the audacity to pray, God, can you just rain fire down from heaven? So we ask God in a pursuit of truth and justice to eliminate his very own species, which would be absolutely contradictory to his nature of God incarnate, spirit and flesh. God dwelling among us, bringing kingdom purpose and picture and image to our here and now. God who never repays in kind, never giving you and I or them what they deserve. He absorbs the offenses of others out of love. Image bearers. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, What should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. And he's been listening. He knows the teaching of Jesus. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus this question. Teacher, who is my neighbor? Which is a flawed question because what he was really asking is, Jesus, who am I permitted not to love? And Jesus replied with this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, a pastor, came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed him by. 
And then a, a temple assistant, an elder, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan. And when Jesus said the word Samaritan, a hush and gasp would have fell across the crowd. A despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man in my absence. If his bills run higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a good neighbor to this man who was attacked by bandits? The man looked at Jesus and replied, the one who showed him mercy, unable and unwilling to even mention and call the Samaritan by name. And Jesus said, yes, you are right. You go and you do the same. We live in a time and in a season and in an era and in a culture in which the enemy is attempting to divide us in all that we say and all that we do. And we gladly adopt the rhetoric of culture and make it our own to the point where you really can't distinguish a Sunday morning from headline news. So from the right, we hear the cries for righteousness, for law and order, for right living, for fairness. And then from the left, we hear calls for justice, reformations, equality, equity, and revolution, even if necessary. And the church has got pulled into these arguments and to the point that we have echoed much of the headlines and mimic much of what the world has to say. We have separated our pursuit of righteousness and justice from our mandate and call to love one another. Justice has become revenge and envy and malice and righteousness has become self-righteousness. And we gladly stand there, sit there, chest puffed out, believing that we are in the right and that we have the answer. We have created our own victims as we argue in the name of God what it means to love best. We have become a religion devoid of the very nature of a God who has called us to be his image bearers. You see, the change we need will not come in the form of a written law. The change we desire will not come in a politician. The change that we want so desperately will not come in the form of a social movement. The change that you and I long for, it will only come through Jesus, as we, his disciples, bring the kingdom of God to our here, to our now. So the question 
that I ask, that I pose to you this morning is who will go first? Who will have the audacity to lend money to the individual that has no chance of repaying it? Who will have the boldness and the courage and the obedience to cross the road when struck in the face, turn the other cheek, help their enemy? Who will have the audacity to bless their accuser? Who will go first? Who, when someone steals your shirt, says, hey, 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 you forgot my coat. Who will love well and who will love first? The question I ask of you this morning is this. Who do you need to forgive? Who over the last year, two, three months, weeks, whatever, who have you not loved well? Who have you not forgiven? Who are you holding a grudge against? And what are you waiting for? God calls us not to be weak and passive and cowardly. When we speak of love, we have allowed Hallmark and culture and Barry Manilow to define what that actually means. Instead of allowing God's sovereign word to dictate our actions and next steps, we don't have to wonder what love looks like lived out in unprecedented times because Jesus came in spirit and flesh and dwelled among us to say, do what I do, love like I love. Is it easy? No. Is it cowardly? Absolutely not. Is it passive? Not a chance. So who will go first? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we are reminded that we are called to a mission. We are reminded that you call your people to pray for workers because the fields are bountiful and overflowing with harvest, yet the workers are few. And the reason the workers are few is because we have refused to do the hard work of heart work. Choosing love is usually not easy. And choosing love is usually not the first thing that we reach for when we feel like we are under attack, being persecuted. But it is the oath, it is the allegiance that we make when we say, we, your people, will bring the kingdom. The kingdom of God to our here and now. So we think of the words of Isaiah where Scripture says that God looked to the horizon. He scanned the mountaintops and he surveyed the oceans looking for a people who will allow his name, his dwelling, 
His calling, His mission to become ours. And may we be bold enough to stand and echo the words of the great prophet and priest who says, here I am, God, send me. Who will go first? Father, you know that we live in a time, in a day, in an age, in a culture where this week, probably this day, we are going to have our feelings hurt, our toes stepped upon. We are going to be mad and frustrated and angry, and we will do so under the banner of pursuing rightness righteousness, justice, truth. But God, may we never pursue them apart from your core foundational reality and character, and that is love. So God, may our words, our actions, our deeds, our interactions, our thoughts, our longings, may they never, never be void or devoid of love. Father, I am bold enough and aware enough to believe that the people within the sound of my voice, that at times they get this wrong and so do I. So God, when my tongue bring slander and gossip and hatred, bitterness, and when hurt or exhaustion bleeds through my very being, making itself manifested and known to the hearers of the sound of my voice in that moment, God, I repent of it. Break it from me, God, and break it from us. Because of your love and because you first love, may we be a people that most is known by our love for you and one another. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all God's people say, amen. Church, if you need prayer, our altars are always open. And we would love to have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to pray for you this day. So be faithful in the closing moments. Would you stand to your feet as we close in worship this day? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.